0: Meet Your Mother, Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 through 31. We parents never seem to outgrow our children. When they're little, they're a handful, but when they're grown, they're a heartful. I remember hearing my mother say, when they're little, they step on your toes, and when they're grown, they step on your heart. Well, this is what Paul was experiencing as he tried to help the Galatian believers with their confused spiritual lives. When he had first come to them with the gospel, he had travailed spiritually to see them turn to the Lord. But after all, the Lord Jesus had travailed on the cross as well to make possible their salvation. Paul's travail was nothing in comparison to that. But now the Galatian Christians were falling back into legalism and a second childhood experience, and Paul had to travail over them again. He longed to see Christ formed in them, just as as we as parents long to see our children mature in the will of God. Since the Judaizers appealed to the law, Paul accepted their challenge and used the law to prove that Christians are not under the law. He actually took the familiar story of Ishmael and Isaac in Genesis 16 through chapter 21 and he drew from it basic truths about the Christian relationship in regard to the law of Moses. The events described actually happened, but Paul used them, and he used them as an allegory, which is a narrative that has a deeper meaning behind it. Perhaps the most famous allegory in the English language is John Bunyan's allegory of the Pilgrim's Progress. In which Bunyan traces Christian experiences from the city of destruction to heaven. And in an allegory, persons and actions represent hidden meanings so that the narrative can be read on two levels: the literal and the symbolic level. Paul's use of the of Genesis in this Section does not give us license to find hidden meanings in all the events of the Old Testament. If we took that approach to the Bible, we can make it mean almost anything that we please. And this is the way that many false teachings arise. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to discern the hidden meaning of the Genesis story we must always interpret the, whole, the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. And where the New Testament gives us permission, we may search for hidden meanings. Otherwise, we must accept the plain statements of Scripture and not try to spiritualize everything. In verses 19 through 23, the historical facts, perhaps the easiest way to grasp the historical account is to trace briefly Abraham's experiences as they were recorded in Genesis 12 through 21. Using his age as our guide, we will trace the events on which Paul based his argument for Christian liberty. So at age 75, Abraham is called by God to go to Canaan, and God promises him many descendants. Both Abraham and his wife Sarah wanted children, but Sarah was barren. God was waiting until both of them were as good as dead, you might say, before he would perform the miracle of seeding them a son. See Romans 4, 16 through 25. And then at age 85, the promised son has not yet arrived, and Sarah becomes impatient. She suggests that Abraham marry Hagar, her maid, and try to have a son by her. Well, this act was legal in that society, but it was not in the will of God. Abraham followed her suggestion, and he married Hagar in Genesis 16. And then at age 86, Hagar gets pregnant and Sarah gets jealous. Things are so difficult in the home that Sarah throws Hagar out, but the Lord intervenes and sends Hagar back and promises to take care of her and her son. When Abraham is 86 years old, the son is born, and he calls him Ishmael. And then at 99, God speaks to Abraham and promises again that he will have a son by Sarah and says to call his name Isaac. Later, God appears again and he reaffirms the promise to Sarah as well. And then at 100 years old, The son is born, and they name him Isaac, which means laughter, as commanded by God. But the arrival of Isaac creates a whole new set of problems in the home. Ishmael has a rival. For 14 years, Ishmael had been his father's only son, very dear to his heart. How will Ishmael respond to the presence of a rival at 103 years old it was customary for the jews to wean their children at about the age of three and to make a great occasion of it so at the feast ishmael starts to mock isaac and to create trouble in the home so there is only one solution to the problem And it's a costly one at that. Hagar and her son have to leave. They have to go. With a broken heart, Abraham sends his son away because this is what the Lord tells him to do. In Genesis 21, verses 19 through 14. On the surface, this story appears to be nothing more than a tale of a family problem. Let me tell you, beneath the surface are meanings that carry tremendous spiritual power. Abraham, the two wives, and the two sons represent spiritual realities, and their relationships teach us important lessons. In verses 24 through 29, Paul now explained the meanings that lie behind these historical Events. Paul began with the two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and he explained that they illustrate our two births. It it explains the physical birth that makes us sinners and the spiritual birth that makes us the children of God. As you think about this and read Genesis 21 1 through 12, you discover. Some wonderful spiritual truths about your salvation. Isaac illustrates the believer in several particulars. He was born by God's power. In fact, God deliberately waited 25 years before he granted Abraham and Sarah their son. Isaac was born after the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 4.29. And, of course, the Christian is born of the Spirit, according to John 3, verses 1 through 7. Isaac came into the world through Abraham, who represents faith, and Sarah, who represents grace, uh, so that he was born by grace through faith, as is every true Christian. He brought joy. His name means laughter. And certainly, he he brought joy to his aged parents, of course. Salvation is an experience of joy. It's an experience of joy to each and every one of us that have experienced it, not only to the believer himself, but also to all of those around him. He grew And he was weaned. Genesis 21 verse 8. Salvation is the beginning, not the ending. After we are born, we must grow. And along with maturity comes weaning. So we must lay aside childish things. How easy it is for us to hold onto the toys of our earlier Christian days and and, uh, fail to lay down. Or lay hold of the tools of the mature believer. The child does not enjoy being weaned, of course not, but he can never become a man until it happens, until he is weaned. And you might read Psalms 131 at this point. He was persecuted, Genesis 21 9. Ishmael, the flesh, Caused problems for Isaac just as our old nature causes problems for us. Paul will discuss this in detail in Galatians 5.16 Ishmael created no problems in the home until Isaac was born just as our old nature creates no problems for us until the new nature enters in when we trust Christ. We never hear a word from the old nature until Christ Jesus comes into our heart. In Abraham's home, we see the same basic conflicts that we Christians face today. Hagar versus Sarah, law versus grace, Ishmael versus Isaac, flesh versus spirit. It's important to note that you cannot separate these four factors. The Judaizers taught the law made the believer more spiritual, but Paul made it clear that the law only releases the opposition of the flesh and a conflict within the believer ensues. See Romans 7 verse 19. There was no law strong enough either to change or to control Ishmael. But Isaac never needed any law. It has well been said, the old nature knows no law and the new nature needs no law. Having explained the significance of the two sons, Paul turned to an explanation of the two wives, Sarah and Hagar. He was illustrating the contrast between law and grace and was proving that the believer is not under law, but is under the loving freedom that, God, that comes through God's grace. So notice then the facts about Hagar that prove that the law no longer has power over the Christian. Hagar was Abraham's second wife. God did not begin with Hagar. He began with Sarah. As far as God's dealings with men are concerned, God began with grace. In Eden, God provided for Adam and Eve by grace. Even after they sinned, in His grace, He provided them with coats. He provided them with coats of skins for covering. Genesis 3.21 He did not give them laws to obey as a way of redemption, Instead, he gave them a gracious promise to believe, the promise of a victorious Redeemer. In his relationship with Israel, also God first operated on the basis of grace, not law. His covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 was all of grace because Abraham was in a deep sleep when the covenant was established when God delivered Israel from Egypt it was on the basis of grace and not law for the law had not yet been given and like Hagar Abraham's second wife the law was added Hagar performed a function temporarily and then moved off the scene just as the law performed a special function, and then was taken away. See Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 25. Hagar was a slave. Five times in this section, she is called a bondmaid or bondwoman. Sarah was a free woman, and therefore her position was one of liberty. But Hagar even though married to Abraham, was still a servant. Likewise, the law was given as a servant. Wherefore then serveth the law? Galatians 3.19 It served as a mirror to reveal men's sins, Romans 3.20 and as a monitor to control men, and ultimately lead them to Christ, Galatians 3.23-25. through 25. But the law was never meant to be a mother. Hagar was not meant to bear a child. Abraham's marriage to Hagar was out of the will of God. It was the result of Sarah's and Abraham's unbelief and impatience. Hagar was trying to do what only Sarah could do and it failed. The law cannot give life. Galatians three twenty one. It cannot give righteousness or the gift of the Spirit verse two, uh, Galatians three, verse two. Or a spiritual inheritance. Isaac was born Abraham's Genesis 21 and 10 But Ishmael could not share in his inheritance. The Judaizers were trying to make Hagar a mother again while Paul was in spiritual travail for his converts that they might become more like Christ. No amount of religion or legislation can give the dead sinner life only Christ can do that through the gospel Hagar gave birth to a slave Ishmael was a wild man Genesis 16:12 and even though he was a slave nobody could control him including his mother like Ishmael the old nature or the flesh is at war with God and the law cannot change or control it by spirit the nature and the flesh are contrary the one to the other and no amount of religious activity is going to change the picture whoever chooses Hagar or law for his mother is going to experience bondage But whoever chooses Sarah or Grace for his mother is going to enjoy liberty in Christ. God wants his children to be free. Hagar was cast out. It was Sarah who gave the order. Cast out this bondwoman and her son. And God subsequently approved it. Ishmael had been in the home for at least 17 years, but his stay was not to be permanent. Eventually, he had to be cast out. There was not room in the household for Hagar and Ishmael with Sarah and Isaac. One pair had to go. It was impossible for law and grace, the flesh and the spirit, to compromise and stay together. God did not ask Hagar and Ishmael to make occasional visits to the home. The break was permanent. The Judaizers in Paul's day and in our own day were trying to reconcile Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. Such reconciliation is contrary to the word of God. It is impossible to mix law and grace, faith and works, God's gift of righteousness and man's attempts to earn righteousness. Hagar was not married again. God never gave the law to any other nation or people, including his church. For the Judaizers to impose the law on the Galatian Christians was to oppose the very plan of God. In Paul's day, the nation of Israel was under bondage to the law, while the church was enjoying liberty under the gracious rule of the Jerusalem, which is above. See Galatians 4.26. The Judaizers wanted to, quote, wed Mount Sinai and the heavenly Mount Zion. But to do this would be to deny what Jesus did on Mount Calvary. Hagar is not to be married again. From the human point of view, it might seem cruel that God should command Abraham to send away his own son Ishmael, whom he loved very much, but it was the only solution to the problem. For the quote wild man could never live with the child of promise. In a deeper sense, however, think of what it cost God when he gave his son to bear the curse of the law to set us free. Abraham's broken heart meant Isaac's liberty. God's giving of his son means our liberty in Christ. In verses 30 and 31, we Christians, like Isaac, are the children of promise by grace. The covenant of grace, pictured by Sarah, is our spiritual mother. The law and the old nature, which would be Hagar and Ishmael, want to persecute us and bring us into bondage. So how are we to solve this problem? We can try to change them. This must fail, for we cannot change either the law or the old nature. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, it says in John 3, 6. And we might add, it always will be flesh. God did not try to change Ishmael and Hagar, either by force or by education. Neither can you and I change the old nature and the law. We can try to compromise with them. This did not work in Abraham's home, and neither will it work in our lives. The Galatians were trying to effect such a compromise, but it was only leading them gradually into bondage false teachers today tell us, don't abandon Christ. Simply move into a deeper Christian life by practicing the law along with your faith in Christ. Invite Hagar and Ishmael back home again. But this is a path back into slavery. The Bible says, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you You desire, again, to be in bondage. In verse 9, we can cast them out. This is what we are supposed to do. First, Paul applied this to the nation of Israel. Then he applied it to the individual Christian. The nation of Israel had been in bondage under the law. But this was a temporary thing preparing them for the coming of Christ. Now that Christ had come, law had to go. Jesus Christ, like Isaac, was a child of promise, born by the miraculous power of God. Once he had come and died for the people, the law had to go. Paul quoted Isaiah 54, 1, Applying his words to Sarah, who was barren before the birth of Isaac. But also applying it to the church in Galatians 4.27. Note the contrast. Sarah had been barren and she tried to become fruitful by having Abraham marry Hagar. Well, this failed and it brought only trouble. The law cannot give life. The law cannot give fruitfulness. Legalism is barren. And for the early church to go back into bondage would mean barrenness and disobedience to the word of God. Because it held fast to grace, the church spread across the world in fruitfulness. But individual churches and Christians can make the same mistake the Galatians were making. They can fail to cast out Hagar. They can fail to cast cast out Ishmael. Legalism is one of the major problems among Christians today. So we must keep in mind that legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards it means worshiping these standards and making or excuse me worshiping these standards and thinking that we are spiritual because we obey them it also means judging other believers on the basis of these standards a person can refrain from say things like smoking or drinking gambling for example, and still not be spiritual. They can do all that. They can set all that aside out of their life and still not be spiritual. The Pharisee had high standards, yet they crucified Jesus. The old nature loves legalism because it gives the old nature a chance to look good. It costs very little for Ishmael not to do certain bad things or to do certain religious deeds, just so long as he can remain Ishmael. For 17 years, Ishmael caused no trouble in the home. And then Isaac came along and there was conflict. Legalism caters to Ishmael. It takes more than negotiations to make a positive, fruitful, spiritual life. No doubt the Judaizers were attractive people. They carried credentials from religious authorities. See 2 Corinthians 3 verse 1. They had high standards and they were careful in what they ate and what they drank. They were effective in making converts and and liked to advertise their accomplishments. They had rules and they they had standards to cover every area of life, making it easy for their followers to know who was spiritual and who was not. But the Judaizers were leading the people into bondage and defeat, not liberty and victory. And the people did not know the difference. In the closing, chapters of this letter, Paul will point out the greatest tragedy of legalism. It gives opportunity for the flesh to work. The old nature cannot be controlled by law. Eventually it has to break out. And when it does, watch out. This explains why legalistic religious groups often have fights and they have divisions. In Galatians 5:15 it says, "You fight and devour one another, and often are plagued with the defiling sins of the flesh in verse 19 of Galatians. While every church has its share of these problems, it's it's especially prominent in those groups where there's an atmosphere of legalism and when you invite Hagar and Ishmael to live with Sarah and Isaac you're inviting trouble thank god the christian is set free from the curse of the law and the control of the law cast out the bondwoman and her son it may pain as deeply as it did Abraham, but it must be done. To attempt to mix law and grace is to attempt the impossible. It makes for a frustrated, barren Christian life. But to live by grace through faith gives one a free and fulfilling Christian life. So what is the secret? the Holy Spirit. And it is this secret that Paul will share in the closing practical chapters of the letter. Meanwhile, you and I need to be aware or to beware lest Ishmael and Hagar have crept back into our lives if they have Let us cast them out. Amen.